Welcome to Light Your Leadership Talks, or LIL Talks. Every week, we bring you informal chats with leaders and leadership experts from around the globe. Your host is Lisa Anna Palmer, author of the international best-selling book, Light a Fire in Their Hearts, The Truth About Leadership. Listen in so that you too can stay informed about the latest wise practices that set great leaders apart. Before I introduce Natalie, I would like for all to join me in acknowledging and honoring Indigenous peoples in this country and in the world who have given and sacrificed so much and continue to teach us and remind us about respecting Mother Earth and all living beings. I would like to acknowledge that we are all joining in from various Indigenous lands that have long been inhabited by Indigenous peoples, and that since I am in Ottawa, that I'm on the traditional unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin peoples. I would also like to acknowledge the wise practices of the First Nations, Métis and Inuit, and their unique and inherent relationship to these lands. Let's take a moment and pause and remember and acknowledge and honor the spirits of thousands of Indigenous children whose lives were lost and torn apart when they were taken from the arms of their parents and imprisoned in Indian residential schools by the government and religious institutions. Their precious voices are finally being heard and they're showing us the undeniable truth. Our hearts go out to all the children and all of their relations. Please accept our deepest sympathies and condolences for your great loss. Now, I will turn it over to our wonderful and amazing guest, whom I love dearly, Natalie, whose spirit name is Dancing Star Sparkles Through Water Woman. Natalie is a pipe carrier of the Algonquin Huron ancestry and has been adopted into the Mountain Goat Clan of the Navajo through ceremonialist Ron Yellowman. She's been walking the Red Road since the 1990s. She's been blessed to sit ceremony, and travel with loving elders from various nations going through the process of slowly embodying teachings. Besides being a mother, wife, soul shaker, and traditional drummer, and an amazing friend, currently Natalie is the lead for Indigenous retention and well-being at the Corporate Indigenous Workforce Director of Indigenous Crown Relations and Northern Affairs Canada. She is also deeply involved with and is doing important work on Indigenous cultural competencies for the government of Canada. I'm so grateful that you are here with us today, Natalie, to share your wisdom about Indigenous worldviews and two-eyed seeing. Thank you so much for joining us as a guest on Little Talks. This is the final part of a three-part conversation with Natalie Blosky on what we can all learn from two-eyed seeing and living. If you have not already, please listen to parts one and two of our conversation before starting part three. So I'll talk a little bit more. We'll go to um, Indigenous cultural competency. And so if you do a little bit of Googling, you will probably fall across uh, Indigenous cultural competency or uh, cultural competency continuum. And so the word continuum often speaks of something that's linear. There's like a progression. You start somewhere and you finish somewhere. 
I would actually challenge that and say that uh, Indigenous cultural competency and probably other cultures as well, yes, it often starts with awareness, but it doesn't necessarily have a direction to it. And it's something that's much more organic. And so the imagery I often call onto people to think about is imagine in the center there's a sacred fire and around the sacred fire, there's like four people sitting there. And so one of those is awareness. Another one is sensitivity. Another is competence. And the other is humility. So now I'm going to say the same words, but I'm going to add cultural awareness, cultural sensitivity, cultural competence, and cultural humility. And so those four concepts actually feed that sacred fire that's in the middle. And that sacred fire in the middle is cultural safety. And so what I'll do is I'll I'll kind of go through all four of them and I'll I'll do the security one as well. And I'm going to explain to you what happens inside a person as you go through learning about cultural competency, as you go about learning about Indigenous worldviews. And so very much organic. The other thing too, that's really important to know when you're looking at uh, wanting to increase your Indigenous cultural competency is that Indigenous learning is experiential by nature. Yes, some of us write books, some of us uh, do talks like this with uh, sometimes with visual images. We give lessons in universities and cultural centers, but it's very much experiential learning. And I'm seeing some of the schools starting to apply some of this, which has got, got me so excited. But Indigenous learning is very much an oral culture. It involves the senses. It involves emotions. It involves big picture thinking. And it involves a lot of it is stories, you know, the telling of our stories. And sometimes the stories can get very personal, but they're to demonstrate uh, a practice or a concept that is so much larger than the individual. And the other thing to know about cultural competency is it's an internal process from the inside out into application in the workplace and the world. And Lisa, whenever I speak of this, I often think about you when you talk about how leadership is from the inside out, right? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, and that's kind of the experience, right? Is, is, is to start working within us in our core. And that's how we are able to then be able to engage with others because we have a better understanding of ourselves and our experience. And that leads to us becoming people who want to do our best and, and hold space for others and learn. So continuing to learn, right? Instead of thinking as learning is a one-time thing, it's a journey, it's lifelong. And that's to continue to keep filling our core and to be able to, you know, the more we fill ours, the more we can share and help others and be of service for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, all, all great leaders go through some form of training where they develop their self-awareness. And transformation usually doesn't happen from the exterior. It happens from the inside out. So if you want to change something, it has to come from inside first. And then you start to see it out in the world. 
And so the other thing about cultural competency is that we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> if there's something that I can say about learning in general, but also learning about Indigenous worldviews is as I learn more, I realize I know I know very little. <laughs> That's funny you're saying that, Nat, because yesterday I was just chatting with, I don't know if it was my son or someone, and I was saying, you know, in life, the number one thing you learn, the more you learn, <laughs> the less you, you know, right? Is that every time you learn, you learn that you have a lot more to learn. So, <laughs> Oh, my God. So- yes. So true. So true. And it's it's just so fascinating to see that that change taking place. And it's also, you know, it explains why, for me, when I look at cultural competency, it's not a line, it's not linear, there's no end. <laughs> there's no, oh, I learned everything about cultural competency done, give me my certificate, and let's move on. It's not like that at all. Um, we are lifelong learners. Uh, in everything in life, if somebody comes to a point where they think they've they've known it all, and I know I was guilty of that in, in the past, and I've been called a know-it-all, <laughs> uh, and rightfully so. I think once I started working on myself from the inside, that's when I realized I don't know what I don't know. And um, so it builds this thing that's called cultural humility, and I'll talk about that a little in a little bit. So in Canada, like I said, there's just people are... We are the original people. And so as you learn to get to know us, one of the things that I'm I'm seeing more and more, and I'm hoping this will continue, is that Indigenous peoples are not necessarily put into that employment equity box, that EE. It's very different. We have inherent rights. And just because the rule of law doesn't necessarily recognize it all yet, it doesn't mean that that we don't already have it. And so... The other thing to know about um, developing Indigenous cultural competency is that if you go for a course, for example, or if you do an activity, it's not necessarily because you're developing specifically cultural safety or cultural humility. It all depends on how you internalize those competencies. And um, it also depends on your other related learning that you've done and the experiences you've already had with that culture. And it also depends on the intent that you have on finding those opportunities to apply the competencies in either the workplace or in the world. And so you could learn a whole bunch of stuff, but if you're not applying it, you know, if you've learned certain things about powwows, for example, but you're not applying it, like you don't take your hat off uh, during grand entry, for example. And if you've learned these things, of course, but you need to be able to uh, apply them. You'll understand a little bit more as I go through um, this circle that I call the Indigenous cultural competency. Let's talk about awareness. So cultural awareness. So cultural awareness tends to be an external process first. Often we'll talk about the Inuit or them or this culture, it. What is required for cultural awareness is an open mind, because that open mind is what's going to allow you to at least start to spot the differences and the impact. And when I talk about the impact is the impact on Indigenous peoples. And let me be a little more clear about that. So when I'm going through some cultural awareness training, for example, 
I don't know yet what I don't know. Is This is a kind of internal dialogue that's going on. When I'm more aware, I can develop greater respect towards others because I know now more than I knew before. Also, I'm curious and I'm willing to explore in order to learn about others. It's important for me to know about Indigenous peoples in order to be more effective, perhaps, in my work, if I'm looking at people who work in my department. So that's some of the internal dialogue that's going on. And another thing that maybe you are thinking as you're getting this kind of training is it's very relevant for me to understand the devastating impact colonial history has had on Indigenous people. And perhaps if, for example, I'm working for Indigenous Services Canada, it's also important because it's the current landscape in which sits my work. And so, for example, if you are a nurse who is taking care of Indigenous patients, it's important for you to know the impact of colonial history and, and to know that perhaps the person in front of you has gone through residential schools or is a child of someone who has survived residential schools and, and what might that mean about their, their sense of safety and, and so how would I better serve? And so examples of awareness training could be, you know, getting some... Uh, reading either on the internet or a book ideally written by Indigenous people that give you an introduction to, for example, First Nations or to the Métis or to the Inuit. For those who are in the public service, uh, the Canada School of Public Service offers all kinds of training, you know, introduction to Canada's colonial history. Maybe you want to go online and look at some tools that give you uh, historical timelines about residential schools. Perhaps uh, you're learning about territorial acknowledgement, but here's where it gets a little more complicated, but it's so fascinating. Two people can go to the same training. Let's take the blanket exercise, for example, and that's a service that's offered through Kairos. And um, so for those who don't know what a um, blanket exercise is, basically it's, you know, it comes from people who have gone through the certification, they're Indigenous, and they, they come and they deliver this um, learning activity, and it involves actual real blankets, and it involves people standing on some of the blankets and different people have different roles. But basically what, what we do is we go through the history of indigenous peoples and colonization. And little by little, people uh, learn more and more about the impact. And it's really different when you're actually being asked to play the role of an indigenous person and that you're reading these two cards and somebody else is reading as a narrator uh, that's telling the history. Um, some people have their blankets taken away. Some people uh, move from one blanket to another. Basically what that exercise does, and I've got shivers, is it puts you in the first person experience of it. And it's a really, really deeply emotional experience. And it has a tremendous impact. It's highly effective. Get people to kind of put themselves in the position of an Indigenous person through history in Canada. And so depending where you're at in your own journey along cultural competency, what it may do for one person is that person will be more of an awareness kind of impact 
For someone else, perhaps it'll be more about sensitivity, which you'll later learn, which is really about, you know, that colonial lens is actually part of my own lens as well, because, well, (laughs) I'm perhaps more of a Western minor, perhaps I work for the government. And maybe I am Indigenous, but I still have to be sensitive to the fact that I'm working for a department that historically has been known to stomp out Indigenous cultures and, you know, was was partially responsible for residential schools and so on. For someone else, it might be a piece that's actually very much uh, humbling. It might be about humility. And they have uh, within them the ignition of a flame, a desire to redress power imbalances. So each person will come to a training session, and you may think it's about maybe just awareness training, but you may interact with it differently depending who you are. Wow, sounds like such a powerful exercise. And wouldn't it be amazing if they did this in high schools? You know, because, and this is something that we've talked about, Natalie, is I had zero awareness or teaching of residential schools, the 60s scoop, any of that until I met you and uh, the Indigenous leaders through the Aboriginal Leadership Development Initiative. And that was, you know, four years ago. And here I am, you know, I'm I'm 50 now, but I was in my late 40s, having grown up in Canada as, as daughter immigrants. And not having understood or known any of this. And when my son went to high school a few years ago, he's he just completed his first year of university now, but you know, they did Canadian history, so-called Canadian history. And they spent all of like maybe an hour or two on indigenous history. And I was, I couldn't believe it as it's still happening. And so imagine the power of bringing something like the blanket exercise to high schools you know, so starting to teach the history earlier on, definitely in, in and I know you've done a lot of work uh, with your with your son's school in, in elementary schools and then in high school, having powerful uh, realizations like this. Wow. Would, I think it would go a long way. So thank you for sharing, you know, what the blanket exercise is about, because it sounds like it would be something that really would help whoever is going through it to to take what they need from it in their learning, in their journey. Right. Well, here's the good news. (laughs) With um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, there's a call to action, which is called Action 57, uh, which is for the public service, but they have kind of the equivalent in education as well, where kids in school need to learn about Indigenous culture. And a good portion of it needs to be experiential. So it's been a few years now where uh, some of the schools have been doing some cultural competency training in the sense that they're actually bringing in elders, they're bringing in drummers, they're bringing in different members of the community so that the children can learn directly from them. And so Alex, when he was in grade, I think it was in grade eight, they actually did the blanket exercise. Mm, Love that. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Yeah. They do it uh, in person. Um, I know that it's also offered virtually some people have found a way to do it because um, like all cultures, we adapt. And so those who have delivered Kairos training have been able to continue, you know, with pandemic and distancing, they've been able to continue some of that teaching and to still, you know, kind of bring it home for people. So it's coming. It, it's, it's, we're there and there'll be more of it. And even I, who was Indigenous in our family, it was kind of hidden for the longest time. And it's my generation that has brought it back. And so now my own son and my nieces 
and I have a nephew as well. For the ones on my mom's side of the family, there was a connection there that's being done with my nieces. And when my father passed away, we drummed him over to the other side. So that's something that maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we would have never done before because we just didn't know. So when you invite people in, either into your business, as much as you can, try to bring in Indigenous peoples. And often um, those are elders uh, that you would reach out to. And they could be knowledge keepers, uh, pipe carriers, uh, language keepers, and so forth. And so we have different roles and stories uh, have such power. Moving on from cultural awareness to cultural sensitivity. So remember before, awareness was mostly kind of an exterior experience. And it was them, it, they. When we're looking at cultural sensitivity, that actually tends to be more of an internal process. So it becomes about we, I, when you're talking about the lens that you carry, I, or my, or as a part of, or a self-reflection. So not only do you have to have an open mind, but you also have to have an open heart because sensitivity will make you have a look within yourself and it's going to further build your your awareness of yourself vis-a-vis other cultures. So the kind of voices that you hear inside are, for example, I understand that Everyone has unconscious biases, myself included. Uh, You may think you don't have any. And I remember there was a time in my life where I thought, I love everybody, so I don't have unconscious biases. Mm -mm. I still have unconscious biases, myself included. Another thing that happens is my own cultural background, uh, my aptitude, my values, um, stereotypes and biases, they actually influence how I view and how I interact with others. It actually shows up in my behaviors. I accept and I embrace differences. And I consider those differences as strengths. Um, And so you can start seeing a shift from I notice there are differences to I consider and I appreciate those differences as strengths. And so some of the examples is I spoke of the blanket exercise. That's an example of one that can kind of, you know, shift you from awareness to sensitivity, depending, of course, how you interact with it. And if you're developing sensitivity when you're doing the blanket exercise, you realize that that colonial lens is not somebody else's lens. It's not somebody way, way back in in history. It's actually part of my own lens I may not have been aware of. If you look at white privilege, for example, uh, that's a lot about a sensitivity where you kind of tiptoe and you're kind of careful. You're not too sure how to approach something, um, but you know that you have to be sensitive to it. And so you, you might be uncomfortable and not know how to go about it, but you're aware of it and you want to be able to learn to then be able to support Uh, Some of the training you could do, for example, is attending a lodge gathering. On the Gatineau side, there's the Kumik Lodge, which is um, in uh, Les Terrasses Chaudières, where our two departments are. Um, And on the other side of the river, in Ottawa, there's the Iskutu Lodge. 
if we're talking just about the National Capital Region. And so there, there are lodges across Canada. Um, and those kind of lodges are usually First Nations lodges. Um, but you can learn so much by seeing protocols in action. And so you can actually witness, uh, for example, and, and participate and experience the prayers in the language of different cultures um, to see how we do a smudge, for example, and, and what's involved in that. What are we saying to ourselves? What's happening to us spiritually? And so there's a lot of training too that's out there, you know, bridging the diversity gap, promoting inclusive workplaces, creating respectful workplaces and, and so forth. So there's quite a bit that's available out there if you want to develop your uh, cultural sensitivity. So now I'll get into cultural competence. So cultural competence tends to be, it's an internal process, but you can really start to see it on the outside. You see it very clearly come out and behaviors. And so the kind of stuff that's going on in your mind is, I understand, for example, that cultural competency is an ongoing process. As somebody who's working either in the public service or in my own company, my own industry, I know that I'm invited to increase my cultural knowledge, uh, to raise my cultural awareness. I need to develop my skills to create a culturally safe environment, for example. And, and, you know, what does that mean? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And so there's all kinds of trainings that you can do that are available. There's, for example, knowing, you know, that there are different, I was saying before, the Métis and the First Nations are very different worldviews, we have some commonalities, but we're also, um, there's a great variety there of cultural practices and, and worldviews. Um, and so just, be, just being able to realize that when you talk about Indigenous peoples, you're not talking about an Indigenous culture, you're talking about many Indigenous cultures. And actually, the word Indigenous comes from the settlers that first came here, they, they needed to find a name to kind of label, uh, left side of the brain, to be able to, to label and put in categories these Indigenous peoples. However, when you look at the language itself from the Indigenous peoples, a lot of us, the name we give ourselves are actually, they basically mean the human being or the, or the people. And so uh, Indigenous is not um, language that comes from us. But it's that left side of the brain that needs to, you know, put things into, into boxes. And so there's all kinds of, of training that you can do. But I think with humility, it mostly comes to actually experiencing it, going to that powwow and being open to learning. And if you do learn something, it's not about showing off what you know. It's actually about being very humble because there's a lot more that you don't know than you do know. And, you know, knowing, for example, with that piece of humility with an elder, with time you'll get to know, and I, Lisa, you've done this beautifully, it's knowing how to treat an elder, for example. It's knowing that in the community, if the hunters have brought back bear, um, the whole community at the cultural center will work on getting that bear parceled out into different pieces and different foods, and that the elders and the youth are always fed before everyone else. And so... Uh, there's a humility piece there when we're with elders as well as to, you know, making sure that they always have water, that they're comfortable. All these little things that you learn, you can't learn them from books. You learn them by getting to know us. And so that's uh, cultural competence. So here's cultural humility. 
And it's one I've grappled with, and I still keep on learning. (laughs) So cultural humility tends to be a process where we have an open mind, we have that open heart again, but we also have now open will. So there's a volition, there's a purposeful intent, a will to learn and to be in relationship. This is where I really start to realize I really don't know (laughs) what I don't know. And I've been in instances where elders have kind of, you know, kind of fixed me up a little bit there because I was trying to share some knowledge I'd read somewhere and it's like, nope, that's not how it's done. And, you know, often you'll hear the same thing repeated many times, listen to it each time because you'll actually learn something different that just brings your your knowledge deeper and wider. It widens the scope of it and the application of it. And so to be able to let come that knowledge and that humility, you have to let go. (laughs) Leave your ego at the door if you're going inside a lodge. (laughs) And, you know, I'll give a specific example. With the Aboriginal Leadership Development Initiative, often people who come to the program and who apply to the program, we put them through an interview process. It's so difficult for Indigenous people because if you're very connected to your culture, you've learned from a young age that you talk about us, about we, not about I. And so it's very hard for Indigenous people to sell themselves, to share all of the wonderful things they've accomplished that support the reason why they would be amazing in this position because we've been taught cultural humility. And I think where we've brought some peace, some composure for some people, it's that leadership isn't about advancing yourself. It's about advancing your people. But to be able to advance your people, sometimes you have to advance yourself in terms of your your career. So you have to take on those leadership roles to be able to serve the community. And so it's that humble peace that comes in because everything is about the people. And the people live in relationship and coexistence with the planet, with animals, with minerals, and spirit, and so forth. And so that's what cultural humility is about. So what happens inside you is things like, I'm a lifelong learner. You might hear yourself say, I can't learn everything from books or in an academic setting. You're, you're kind of getting it now. Okay, this is why I can't, I can get that information there. But there's a whole part of that learning that I'm missing if I'm only relying on that. I don't have all the answers and nor can I. If you remember that two-eyed seeing, I showed both groups coming together. So just because you're learning more about cultural competency doesn't mean you're replacing that Indigenous voice that you need to work with and collaborate with on a project from the very beginning of a project. But because I now know that I don't have all the answers, nor can I, if I come together with Indigenous peoples, together we can combine our strengths of knowing, being, and doing. And so another thing you might hear inside your mind is, "Ah, I may make mistakes, but if so, I, I will redress them because it's not about me. Uh, and so if I make a mistake, I have to kind of of let go of my ego so that I can then actually, how can I serve? How can I serve better? 
And so humility is, is really important because it's key to building trust and relationships and positive experiences. And I can tell you that Indigenous peoples have had that trust broken time and again. We've heard the broken record. And so whenever we have somebody new that comes in, and that happens often, unfortunately, between a community and, for example, one of our departments, the person who goes in there often changes. So there's no continuity in that relationship. Things keep changing. And every time it's kind of the same story of, oh, here comes a new person. And and that person in the beginning sometimes thinks that they know it all. But through relationship, they actually start to learn uh, to become more humble. That humility piece comes in. And I think both of our departments, because we've been hiring more Indigenous peoples, because we're starting to finally offer, you know, we have that policy on cultural competency, we're we're able to enter into trusting relationships. And, And we understand now what that means and what it takes to get to that place. So that's humility. Thank you, Natalie, for sharing and taking us through that that journey of going from awareness to sensitivity and confidence into humility. And uh, it's a pretty profound piece that you just started, you know, shedding some light on and helping us understand, well, what's the learning process, right? So as we get to know Indigenous peoples and their culture is that internal dialogue that happens and to to have the courage. And that's part of the humility piece to have the courage to make mistakes (laughs) and be vulnerable. (laughs) And, uh, and, and sometimes, you you know, taking that little risk of, you know, asking the question or saying something with the openness that it might not be right. And so somebody's going to correct me and that's okay because that's how I learn. So, so thank you for, for taking us through this process. Yeah, definitely. As you get to know us, expect your ego to be stomped on (laughs) here and there. Um, You know, experiential learning, right? So like you said, if if your intent is good, loving elders, you know, yes, they'll they'll teach you that perhaps there is another way, but they're willing to walk that journey side by side with you. You're, You're not alone as you go through this process. And so you know, cultural competency, I think, is the way forward. And um, I'll just talk a little bit about that that sacred fire that's in the middle, that's um, cultural security. And so cultural safety, if you will, this really tends to be an internal process. And it can definitely be seen on the outside in terms of your behavior. And so, again, you know, open mind, open heart, open will. And it is that sacred fire that's in the middle and that cultural awareness and sensitivity and competence and humility that you have been building all feed that cultural safety or cultural security. And and this is something that Indigenous people have been saying really loud and clear in, uh, well, for a long time, for decades, but we hear it even more loudly these days than ever before. And so... If you are somebody who is at this space where you're reflecting on cultural safety, you know, you understand like inside my mind, essential part of Indigenous cultural safety is actually to become aware of how we think, how we feel, and how we behave towards Indigenous peoples in this case. So here are three really important lines, and um, I actually 
read them for the first time through the um, Canada School of Public Service. And I think they're so important. And it's really interesting. I've done cultural competency training with uh, some elders uh, for some of our employees. And I remember one of the elders was just totally struck by it. And, and she actually had me repeat them and, and write them. So the first one is, stereotypes are about how we think. We all have stereotypes. We all have them, either we're conscious of them or not. But stereotypes are about how we think. Prejudice is about how we feel. So remember, stereotypes, mind, how we think. Prejudice is about how we feel, so that heart. Discrimination is about how we behave. And so you have think, feel, and behave. All of them are important, and it's so critical that we are aware of them. And the more you spend time with Indigenous peoples, the more you become aware of these thoughts. Because you're going to be tested, because it's a really different worldviews, because it's very much focused, remember, yes, it's there's a balance between the right side and the left side, but a lot of it is new for the Western mind, so that that right side is it's going to be challenging for people who are not used to operating from that side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I can just share a little bit from my experience, one, one of the things that I learned was that when truth is spoken, because, you know, we're brought up to be polite here in Canada. Uh, And I put that in quotation marks, you know, polite. So when, when that deep truth is spoken, in a business environment, because, you know, some of us are, are used to it in our, in our personal lives, depending on our, our cultures or whatnot. Certainly as Italian, I'm used to hearing, you know, how people feel a lot. <laughs> and um, having learned and, and being brought up in the Western business system and, and education, sometimes we mask our feelings or we minimize things just to keep things calm or like below the surface, or uh, I guess it's about appearances, right? So how, how it looks, how managing upwards, managing appearances, all that. So when you're in a business context, and for the first time, you, you hear like deep truth being spoken, it feels different than your normal business activities. And so part of that learning was, first of all, recognizing, wow, that's, that's beautiful. Somebody is speaking truth to me and I feel I could feel it at a deep level. So here I am at a business meeting and I'm feeling at a deep level versus like just surface being in my head. And, uh, and there's that learning. And there's also like, how am I going to manage my reaction to it? Because when you're not used to it and people are speaking basically in code, business code, I call it, or having the corporate laugh or whatever, then all of a sudden you're, you're dropping below that and speaking truth, which has been my experience with Indigenous leaders, is how am I going to show up in that space and how I'm going to be respectful and have that humility uh, and then learn how to be part of that conversation that's about truth and sharing that truth with, which can be difficult when it's when we're talking about very uh, deep situations, uh, people having experienced certain things like that time when I first learned about the 60 scoop and it wasn't a business setting and I I, I didn't know what to say, you know, so it's, and again, this comes back and I love that you brought in, you know, the idea of cultural humility, because that's what it is, is, is just being present. And even if you don't know what to say, to be open to the situation and just be there to learn. 
and not to have to try to find all the answers. We don't have all the answers and we don't have to respond, you know, with uh, to placate or it's like, it's truth. Just sit there and bathe in it for a while. Yeah. And our elders tell us often, you know, you, you have two ears and only one mouth. So listen <laughs> and really listen and then listen again. And so uh, the listening comes with observing as well. Often we're, when we're taught certain ceremonies, I remember one of the elders I've, I've had the, the gift of spending time with was um, Elder Barbara Brandt, uh, who's from Tainanega, Mohawk. And I remember her sitting me in the lodge one day simply to observe and learn about pipe ceremony. And no one took me by the hand and no one told me, first you do this, then you do that. Uh, the way we learn is by sitting there quietly and watching and watching and watching. And something that's also important is that the practices change from one group to another. So you may have five pipe carriers, but it is done in five different ways because it depends on the teachings that were shared with them. There are some universal truths, of course, but there's also variety. And, and it's very much about uh, the elder that has taught you and the teachings of that elder has learned from the elder of that elder. So that's why we often talk about our ancestors, because that's where it all comes from, as well as spirit. One thing that I've, I've heard of before is, if you're comfortable doing reconciliation, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> There's something you're not getting, because it's it, that humility piece is really hard. And, you know, I wasn't raised with with the cultures, I've, I've been raised very much uh, with white privilege. And so that left part of my brain sometimes gets in the way of uh, that right side that just needs to sit there and listen. It's my hope that I've learned from uh, some of my elders and I've had um, like amazing elders uh, that I've been able to, to sit with and to learn from in the lodge and on the road as well and, and in the ceremony. So it's a lifelong learning. I don't know what I don't know. And there's so much more to learn. And that um, every, every learning is a gift. It is. It really is. Gratitude is, is, is a big part of our worldviews. Yeah, definitely. And um, I'll say something else about cultural safety. So safety is actually defined by those who receive, for example, the service and not by those who provide it. And so if you haven't built up that humility piece yet, you might find yourself to be kind of, it's a little bit of, um, I know some of my colleagues, when we talk about Black Lives Matter, they talk about uh, white privilege and sometimes some people who are more of the Western mind um, are, are insulted or offended that they've offended someone else or it, it kind of becomes about them. <laughs> and so uh, cultural safety is really, it's about the person who is receiving the service, not about you who is providing a service. And the other thing about cultural safety, again, is I have to be mindful that, you know, the Indigenous clients I'm working with uh, or patients uh, I'm working with, or just individuals that I'm working with, my colleagues, they uh, have and may still be experiencing racism and discrimination, for example, by my own department, by the delivery of our services. And so I have the opportunity each time I interact with somebody who's Indigenous to 
be an agent of change and to offer positive experience to an Indigenous person or community. And so know that discrimination is still happening in the public service and in all kinds of places. We like to say that it doesn't, but it still does. And there's still a lot of of work uh, to be doing, to be happening. So I think I mentioned it before, uh, you know, to get to know us is to love us. And when we talk about cultural competency, you know, the the, the people that I, I talk with about cultural competency on a regular basis, you know, we just want people to care about us, to care about what happens to us, to care about what happened before, and and let's work together um, for a better future. And so the images that come to my mind when I think about to get to know us is to love us is, you know, I've got Elder Martina Osamowit, for example, who's uh, Anishinaabe from uh, Manitoulin Island from Wiki. And my heart just beats a little extra beat whenever I think um, of her uh, and of the other elders I've, I've sat with. And um, we grow very close. It's about those powerful moments when a friend of mine uh, or a spirit sister stands up and, and speaks with that buffalo voice. You know, some of uh, people in, on my team at work, we call it feathers up. And so when, when you need to be strong, um, you put that eagle feather up and, and you speak to truth. And so, yeah, just get to know us. Um, we get to know you in exchange as well. Um, it really is a mutual respect and it's a mutual relationships where we're equals. Don't pity us. Sometimes I've had people being very paternalistic or thinking they need to jump in and fix things for me. It's no, um, I have my own uh, worldviews and my ways of doing that. But yes, please be there. I've had moments where I've had to speak the truth and it was really hard for me. And I've had my two heart sisters, one on each side of me as I did that. And that's what we do in the circles. We raise each other up. And so when we think of the future and we think of the change that needs to happen in the world, not just for Indigenous peoples, but for everyone, when we're looking at the whole globe, we have to be aware. And, and you know, when it comes to this, I often kind of dip my toe a little bit back into theory U, which is, you know, on one side, my current self and reality. And on the other side of this big precipice, uh, there's another part of, of that land and that other part of myself that is filled with all of my future possibilities that I can bring into reality as I journey forward. And between my current self and my future self, where I actually see the change that it's actually have been realized between the two there's this abyss that's filled with you know all kinds of feelings of disruption uncertainty turmoil and and dread and and pain but as the current self myself you know i peer across that chasm you know i think how in the world am i going to get there from here and so i think with two-eyed seeing that journey where we walk side by side. Nobody wants to carry the other person. We want to walk side by side. And so my journey is, you know, helping my current self and and that person who walks beside me to better connect to the emerging future possibilities that are waiting for us across, you know, that chasm. And so I'm always reminded that what we do today 
shapes the next seven generations. And I think the conversations that we're having these days are actually working towards that. And that for me is connected to see um, Indigenous prophecies. Uh, You may have heard of some of them. One is called the condor meets the eagle. Another one is called the eighth fire. There's actually a whole series on CBC by Wab Canoe. You can Google that. Uh, Look at the seventh fire, which is basically, I think we're, as humanity, we're at a crossroads where uh, that disruption, we can, you know, let it kind of destroy us, or we could all evolve together. And uh, I think of one of my colleagues who's been in, in the military, Leslie Newell, for example, which you know very well, uh, Lisa, and who's done um, some wonderful talks with you as well. You know, in the military, we never leave anyone behind. And so with Indigenous peoples, it's that same mindset. We all move forward together. And so we raise one another. And I can just imagine when we bring our two-eyed seeing together or multi-eyed seeing together, the future has amazing things waiting for us. And so that's pretty much what I wanted to share today. I know it's a lot and I, you know me, I keep going, but the other things I'm mindful, I don't want to overwhelm at the same time, but I'm sure bits and pieces of this information will give uh, some food for thought. And I hope it leads you to want to get to know us better. And uh, Lisa, you know, I'm always here, always available if anyone has uh, any questions or needs to be tapped into um, something that has to do with our worldviews. Thank you so much. Uh, Such a beautiful presentation. And um, I just love the intentionality you put into everything. Uh, And and I think that's, that's what I certainly I've been learning about indigenous culture, so much intentionality around everything and so much care given Natalie, thank you so much for everything. Um, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I love you. You're my heart sister. Um, I love you, know, you I, think, I think we'll be, we'll definitely be friends for life. This one and, and many more probably. So, uh, and whenever I hear you speak, like I said earlier, I learned so much. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, and uh, I was wondering if maybe we'd close out with another song. <laughs> so this is one of the things you've learned, right, uh, by spending time with us is whatever we open, we also close. And so we'll close with um, Heartbeat Song. And it's actually, um, the song is from Pura Fey. And Pura is actually a relative of Elder Ted Silverhand's uh, family, whom I mentioned at the beginning of this talk. And um, it's actually a song uh, that was connected to her father and legacy. But I'll tell you what the words are. So the lyrics go, uh, our hearts are full and our minds are good. Our ancestors come and give us strength. Stand tall, sing, dance, and never forget who you are or where you come from. And I think that applies to everyone, regardless of the culture that you're from. Stand tall and know that you're not alone. You know, big beings uh, walk with you. So heartbeat song, and I'll be singing it in, it's a mixture of Lakota and another language. I'm not sure if it's Tuscarora, but it's language other than the one they've been taught for sure. But it's, it's an amazing connection song. So as you listen to it, think of that pride of wherever you're from, 
whatever you're part of, and um, we're all connected to that heartbeat. Thank you, Nali. Oh, you're welcome. This marks the end of the third and final part of our conversation with Natalie Blosky on what we can all learn from two-eyed seeing and living. Thank you for listening. A big thank you to our Little Talk listeners for tuning into today's show. Please share with friends and colleagues who care about leadership and what is happening in our workplaces. If you'd like to keep this conversation going, please go to lightyourleadership.com to book a discovery call. While you're there, be sure to grab your copy of Light a Fire in Their Hearts, The Truth About Leadership. We wish you an excellent rest of the week. And until next time, remember to light your leadership because building authentic business relationships will help you to love your life as a leader.